You're listening to the Baptist Bulletin Podcast, a program dedicated to advocating for a biblical worldview by encouraging Christian growth and ministry from a biblical perspective. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Baptist Bulletin Podcast. I'm David Gunn and I am here with Pat Nemmers and Chuck DeClean. Pat serves as lead pastor of Sailorville Church in Des Moines, Iowa. And Chuck was recently with Sailorville Church, now is splitting off to uh, to be the pastor of evangelism and outreach at New City Church, which um, which is a church plan of Sailorville. Is that correct? That's correct. That's the sixth uh, church in the Engage Network. Fantastic. Well, thank you for being on the program, guys. Appreciate it very much. Our joy. So we are talking today about evangelism and specifically about creating a culture within a local church that promotes evangelism or that is that is passionate about evangelism. Uh, I think there's there's a general consensus that this is an area where many churches are lacking and a lot of churches and a lot of pastors and a lot of even lay people in churches want to do something about that but they don't always know how to get from point A to point B. So Maybe the best way to start out in framing this is is to tackle the question, why is it that so many Christians have trouble with evangelism? We, we, we all know we ought to do it, right? Christ has given us a clear command to share our faith, but many people struggle to actually get over the hump. And uh, you have talked about fear and kind of a variety of types of fear as being uh, a major hurdle. Well, just kind of talk through that concept and, uh, and, and how should Christians think about fear of evangelism? How should they combat that in their lives? Yeah. Well, thanks, David. Yes, uh, there are several inhibitors, fear being one of them. And I think probably uh, just to back it up just a little bit, sure. uh, it's our passion that, uh, that pastors, and by pastors I mean lead pastors, and most of the pastors out there in your listening audience are probably lead pastors, mm-hmm. Uh, it has to start with them. We're convinced of that, is our uh, yes, check? Yes, we are. So, I mean, Jesus said that uh, you know the disciple isn't above his his uh, master, but the one that's fully trained will be like his master. And if we want our people to embrace the concept of the Great Commission and thereby evangelism, it's got to start at the top. I mean, I don't think that's rocket science either. But if the the, the church pastor or that can be really good in all areas of doctrine and Bible exposition, various areas of theology. But if he misses evangelism, he's going to create a church a lot like he is. And uh, uh, we're finding that more often than not, that's not a very healthy church. So getting into those evangelistic inhibitors, you're right, we listed three of them. And the first one was indeed fear. We actually listed several areas of fear uh, uh, that uh, fear of failure. Uh, People just fear, failing in their attempts to win somebody to the Lord, uh, being stumped, that is somebody uh, uh, gives them the, the, the proverbial question they can't answer, you know, <laughs> why does a good God allow evil in the world or whatever, you know, uh, uh, fear of alienation, uh, that being uh, your friends, your family, it just, I, I literally had somebody recently have their best friend, they told me this themselves, their very best friend died of cancer. And he said, Pastor, I never once shared Christ with him. I was just aghast uh, that he never did. Uh, But uh, alienation is what kept him from ever doing that. some people fear not having the knowledge. Again, that gets back to being stumped. And then there's just this whole area of personality. This is something that isn't talked about much, but 
some of us have quirky personalities. We're not all, you know, with the gift of gab or whatever. And we, we fear the ability to be able to just start a conversation. Hmm. And we are going to get to that, just the idea of having a conversation. Others are just concerned. They don't want to be involved in the drama of people's lives. And, you know, evangelism is a messy thing. But those are several of the fears that uh, we see people uh, wrestle with. Do you think sometimes when people fear failure in evangelism, that could be indicative of the fact that maybe they've misdefined what success in evangelism would look like? Sometimes we we, we think, uh, I have not successfully evangelized until I've secured a conversion. Mm. But that's not necessarily true. Uh, Christ has called us to proclaim his message. And so therefore, failure to evangelize is really failure to proclaim Christ's message. Uh, We're called to take the message out. God will do the rest. He will secure the conversions. Right. We just have to show up and be faithful. That's a great point, Chuck. You want to talk about it? I I do think that that is true. You shouldn't look at the conversion rate as your story of success. Mm -hmm. On the other side, I think if you're faithful in sowing the seed that there will be a harvest. And I think you sow with that hope. Now, in some areas, there's more of a harvest than in others, but faithfully sowing, I think, will produce results, the results that we do leave in God's hands. So that sort of, uh, I would say, David, to capitalize on what Chuck is saying, uh, that 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 takes out the excuse that says, well, yes. you know, I mean, be, I mean, whether anybody gets saved or not, I mean, that's not <laughs> the issue here. I just need to be faithful, give me the gospel. Uh, there is that's certainly true, sure. but as Chuck is saying, I mean, using the pipeline analogy, if you're if you're constantly sharing Christ with individuals, it stands to reason you're gonna you're gonna stumble upon God's elect, <laughs> and somebody's gonna co- come to Christ if, eventually. Right? Eventually, I mean, yeah. we believe that the word is powerful. The word accomplishes its purpose. It, it does not return void. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for those who are willing to put in the work, you're saying there's going to be results eventually. Yeah, We, mean, don't, we don't produce the results. Right. But yeah. God is faithful to bring that to pass. Yeah, yeah. truth, is, I mean, as you said, as you quoted Isaiah 55, I mean, mm-hmm. that's, uh, truth is like a time-release capsule. And sometimes it's a lot later. I, I literally had a, a missionary uh, call me up here a couple of years ago. He called me up. I didn't know who he was. He kept trying to get through our secretary. Our secretary wasn't getting through. <laughs> secretary says, Pastor, you need to talk to this guy. His name is Paul Kramer. I just mentioned his name. I wasn't, but that's okay. He says, uh, he says he knows you. And I don't know, but do you know him? Is he just trying to figure, he's a missionary. I'm just, he might be just looking for, you know, some kind of a angle to get in. I said, Paul Kramer, the only Paul Kramer I've ever known was the guy I wrestled with almost 35 years ago, 40 years ago. I answered the phone. It was that very Paul Kramer. He goes, man, what's it take? For me to get through to you and i said i'm so sorry paul what 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 why would you call me and he says pat i called you for one reason only i just called you to say thanks i won't take up any of your time i said what are you thanking me for he goes you don't remember do you i said i don't even know what you're talking about paul he said 25 years ago you shared christ with me in a line at a wedding and you told me how I needed to trust Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I want you to know, for 22 years, that haunted me. 
three years ago I trusted Christ and I'm on my way to Thailand as a missionary with, uh, and he mentioned his denomination. I couldn't believe it. The Word right. of God became a time-release capsule. So yes, it does like, it, sure. that's a crazy story, but uh, you know, faithfulness is for sure. But it is, you gotta overcome these fears. Absolutely. So, so how, do, how do Christians, or how should Christians overcome these fears? And you've, you've identified several fears of failure, fear of rejection, fear of being stumped, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what do we do about that? I, I'm the first on failure. That's a big one. People just mm-hmm. f- uh, fear to fail, and uh, uh, I'll let Chuck talk about that because we've identified just the practice of evangelism that helps you to overcome that failure, doesn't yeah. it? It's just a consistent work ethic in this realizing that you are going to outwardly fail, but that there still is the place of sowing the word of God. And you keep sowing even though you don't see results right away because God will give those in in time. So I think just the practice of obedience is what we want to really state. That's what we need to do. Mm -hmm. The other failure that we mentioned, uh, David, is, uh, you know, the... The, the rather fear, the fear of being stumped. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's just mm-hmm. sort of worried about that. Questions are going to come at them, and or somebody's going to really know their Bibles and just going <laughs> to overwhelm them. You know, but uh, uh, great man of God I used to evangelize uh, college campuses is now with the Lord. Paul Little said most unbelievers are Bible illiterates, and any of us who have been involved in evangelism, like Chuck and I, all of our lives, we've dedicated our lives to this. We've discovered this to be true over and over again. It doesn't matter how highly intelligent we're talking. We're talking graduates, high-level graduates uh, uh, that uh, are just ignorant. And of course, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Neither can he discern them because spiritual things are spiritually understood. And uh, we have discovered over and over again that the unsaved individual for the most part are sort of illiterate when it comes about not not all of them uh but uh that that is a so that's just something so i would just say stop worrying for mm-hmm. one thing sure, sure. and uh and, and 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 i just gave an example here uh, recently of a i'm working with a group of guys they're they're all highly educated men uh, uh one's in a corporation one is a uh, one is um uh, is uh is a pharmacist uh, they just had various ocup- occupations. I'm still working with them. And they've been studying the Bible. These guys are from mainline churches, and they've just invited me into their group. They have been studying the Bible for the last four or five years together. And as I spent one time with them, I realized how ignorant they were. Uh, uh, but they were gracious. They were humble. But for the most part, they were ignorant. And I, so I, we see this uh, sort of come true all the time. But one of the other fears is alienation. People are, I mean, that's a, that's a big one. I mean, people are concerned about being alienated from their parents, alienated from their siblings, alienated from their relatives, alienated from their friends, alienated from their workmates. Uh, and, uh, and that's a serious fear. I mean, I get it. I mean, nobody wants to be defriended. It's one thing to be defriended on Facebook or something like that. It's another thing to be in life somebody you know, gives you the the stiff arm. But the bottom line is, this is the answer to that is it's part of our gig. That's what we say. This is part of our gig. We're we're, we're to be disciples. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me and not hate your mother and father, wife, children, your own life also, you can't be my disciple. That's part of our gig. Yes. And so we don't really have a slick answer to this. <laughs> Just accept the gig. Sure. And uh, uh, and uh, so. The other thing we, we talk about is personality, and if you don't mind, I'll just take a moment on that, sure. David. Go for it. Uh, 
this isn't something talked about very often, but a lot of our listening audiences probably would admit, you know, I got a quirky personality. I'm not the I'm not the guy with the gift of gab. I'm not the gal who who naturally starts a conversation, and um, I'm you know I'm not I'm not Pat Nemers. I'm not Chuck DeClean. But the truth is, Pat Nemers and Chuck DeClean could not be more polar opposites in personality. Uh, Chuck is Chuck doesn't wow you with his personality. He's not. I don't think he's quirky. That's for sure. But some well, of you, we're not going to say it. We're not going to say it. Room. Yeah, yeah not right. not on a recording. Anyway. <laughs> but uh, but the truth is, uh, but the truth is, uh, uh, those with quirky personalities sometimes don't know how to start a conversation because they just feel a little awkward. And what we've discovered, and I'm going to let Chuck address this briefly, is actively being interested in the other person. It doesn't matter if you're per- what kind of personality you have, you can show interest in another person. And when you do that, you sort of free up your tongue. You sort of free it all up. Chuck, talk to that. Well, a little bit is when you meet someone is showing interest in the person. How do you do that? By asking questions about them. Trying to find things that they are interested in, not that you're interested in. If they're interested in hunting, if they're interested in sports, if they're interested in something else and you discover that, then ask them about that, how they're doing, what they've learned. Learn from them is what you do, and then they will enjoy talking to you if they can talk about something they're interested in. But what you're really doing is you're giving the the interest to them. You're trying to discover what their interests are, and then it becomes very enjoyable for them and the discussion just flows. Another inhibitor that uh, we mention is is just Satan. This we we remind our people that this is a we're we're in a, this is a spiritual battle that we're involved in. We know that, but we have to remind ourselves that uh, we we have uh, we're told that Jesus told us deliver us from the evil one. Why do we pray such a prayer? Because the evil one does exist and all of his imps. And uh, so uh you know again if uh if we realize that we'll pray against those things we are um we're really passionate when it comes to evangelism one of the biggest inhibitors is 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 knowing that we're up against it in a spiritual battle so we put a huge emphasis on prayer and fasting don't we chuck yes we do yes we do but the other one david i would say the other inhibitor we identified of the three fear satan and then the and this is the biggest one we the biggest inhibitor in our estimation and it's our estimation where we god knows the answer to this but from our experience the biggest inhibitor is disobedience it's a strong word but i don't think you're wrong to use it mm-hmm. yeah. So disobedience uh, is just, you know, in fact, it was interesting. And recently we, uh, we, we were in a, uh, a module where we were teaching these truths and uh, we asked people at their tables to identify their own personal inhibitors, the things that really inhibit them. And uh, they all said things like uh, Satan and most of them really fell into the different fear categories. Sure. Nobody wanted to talk about disobedience. <laughs> and yet... Once, if you listen to them talk for a while, they kind of got back to whole, the whole business of disobedience. And our tendency in our flesh is to make excuses for our disobedience. But if we see this as a, as a responsibility, my friend Dave Heisterkamp says that we need to view evangelism as a mark of obedience. And I think he's right. And uh, if, if we see it that way, then we'll, we'll, we'll tackle it that way. 
And it's like anything else. I mean, an alcoholic's not going to deal with his problem unless he admits he's got he's got a drinking problem here. Okay, and uh, if we're not reaching people for Jesus, it might simply be because we're not obedient. Correct. I think you watch where the church spends their energy. If you were to ask a church, where do you spend most of your energy? I think oftentimes it would be in areas that have nothing to do with evangelism and it's totally forgotten. That's disobedience. What a great question. Mm. Ask a church, where are you spending your energy? That's a great question for your listeners. Yeah. Because we, we will make time for the things that we yeah. prioritize. Yes. Yes. Right. And, and, and maybe the, uh, the, the failing there for many people is uh, whether they vocalize it this way or not, categorizing evangelism as some kind of an optional or supplemental pursuit Mm -hmm. when biblically speaking it's not Mm -hmm. it is part and parcel of the church's foremost mandate to make disciples Mm -hmm. well you're not going to make disciples unless you're winning people to christ yeah yeah right yeah right well let's talk about some of the approaches to evangelism that we see in the bible you uh you've identified several of them here the first one being confrontational and i think that might be the one that kind of springs to people's minds a lot right off the bat when they start thinking about evangelism and and maybe by framing evangelism in kind of a confrontational mode that is sometimes what scares people off and that doesn't necessarily have to be the case because that's not the only approach to evangelism, and it may not even be the most effective approach to evangelism in our day and age, yeah. right? Yeah, we would agree with that, although it is a, it is an approach. Sure, it's a legitimate sure it approach, and then we might even argue that when a preacher is preaching the Bible, even expositionally, every Sunday morning, he's going to confront the audience with the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And you find that in the book of Acts, there's many preachings that result in salvation. It's confronting people that way, so it is a legitimate way to share the gospel yeah but as david as you're saying it might not be the most effective i i was in a restaurant out in california one day with a very well-known evangelist who uh he i was meeting him for the first time and we were walking in the restaurant and he walked to every table and slapped a track on the table and said it's worth more than a million dollars no you're going to heaven and walked to the next table i was i was beside myself i couldn't believe it i was it was awkward it was it didn't make any sense to me uh but uh but that's the way he does it. I thought to myself, well, he's probably going to stumble into a few elect. He'll probably see some people. Some people get saved. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's really not one that uh, that we overly focus. But at the same time, we tell people that even in the most conversational way, eventually there is a confrontation. It's a spiritual thing. It doesn't have to be that hard, uh, pugnacious, yeah, pugnacious uh, approach. Yeah. But there is a moment where you have to, you are confronted with the truth of God. So it's a legitimate approach. The other approach would be apologetic. Now, that's really coming more closer to home, especially in the age in which we're living, where uh, here in the States, you know, paganism is is on the rise. The nuns are really huge. I mean, people don't go anywhere, don't believe anything. And and by nuns, you're not talking about Catholic nuns. I'm not talking about Catholic nuns. (laughs) People who would list their religion as... None. As none. That's right. That's exactly right. So what we find is we see more of a need for the Acts 17 approach where Paul goes to Athens and he says, you know, I, hey, I look at, look at all these. I, you got an idol on every corner. You know, uh, you've got one to the unknown God. Hey, the one you worship not knowing, I want to talk to him about, uh, yeah. to you about him. And this is an apologetic approach. He takes, he takes these pagans, these Stoics, and these Epicureans uh, he starts with creation. He works his way to the gospel, calls them to repentance, and only a few of them believe. 
but he does approach an apologetic perspective and and that requires knowledge and I think that uh, listeners would do well to listen to resources like uh, Ravi, Zacharias, uh, uh, John Lennox, uh, William Craig, uh, 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 Lee Strobel, these guys um, and uh, the, to be very, very helpful. But the one that we do more than anything is conversational evangelism. This is what this is our stick. This is the way we work, and uh, and we'd be happy to talk to you about that if you want us to. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, well, conversational evangelism is just exactly that. It's not. It's not rock, rocket science. I mean, this is what Jesus did with Nicodemus. Uh, uh, Chuck, there are a number of instances in the Book of Acts where we see this as well. Is there not? That is true. And, and I myself was very mechanical in my approach to the gospel. I would go to doors, knock on the door, try to present Roman roads. That's more confrontational, right off the bat. But when you study in the Book of Acts, you come across, for instance, Acts seventeen seventeen, where it says, "He, being Paul, reasoned in the synagogues." Or Acts 18.4, he reasoned every Sabbath. Or Acts 19.9, it's translated differently in a version, and he conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall. Hmm. It comes from a Greek word, dialegomai, which means to talk through. It's a two-way conversation that's taking place. And Paul would actually go to the synagogue every week and have reasoned with them, or in this school, in the lecture hall every week, he had conversations with people. It's a two-way dialogue. And so what we want to do is get to know people so that we can converse back and forth with them. Listen to their concerns. Try to answer their questions. Lead them into truth, not force it down their throats, but have them consider and persuade them through conversations. That's what we find as we look at the book of Acts. So that's what we endeavor to copy with people. So we take time with them. We get to know them. And then we lead them in conversations about spiritual things. Yeah, in fact, an expanded meaning of that word that Chuck alluded to means to dialogue with questions and answers. So there's an assumption that there are you're asking questions, they're giving answers, they're asking questions you're giving answers it's that whole dialogue yes and we have found over time that this is the most effective means of evangelism because long-term situations like this produce long-term disciples and as i would go out and meet people i don't immediately go into spiritual things my goal as i go out and those that go out with me my thought is let's go out and see if we could make a new friend tonight Mm -hmm. and meet someone that we could go back to later on. We might leave literature with them, ask them to think about it, but the whole idea is to make a friend so that we can begin the dialogue and the longer conversations like that and relationships will lead to discipleship. I think that's wise. Uh, I, I think that's very wise. There's an old axiom People will not care what you know until they know that you care. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? And, and yeah. that's kind of what you're hitting at there. And I think, David, that there's a, there is a subtle, and this is really, a, this, there's a critical point here. And I'm speaking in my own life as I've watched uh, Chuck DeClean, and I'm an evangelist and have been since I was saved, but I've watched and I've sat at Chuck's feet to see him develop genuine friendships. I'm using the word genuine. Because I think we can be disingenuous and say, well, yeah, I've got a lot of friends, you know, and all this. But they're not really your friends. You don't really care for them that much. But if you take the time 
to befriend people and, 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 and focus on time, you start to really care for them. You actually love them. You, I, there are people in my life right now that I'm working with, with my wife and I, one couple that's coming to my mind, we have come to genuinely love them. It will break our hearts if they turn away from the gospel. We're still working with them. They're not Christians yet. But because we've been working with them for a couple of months, we've come to love them. You know, even in my own life, how I was reached in the service, I dug my friend who shared the gospel with me. I knew him for an entire year before he ever brought the gospel to me. He played basketball with me. He took me out to eat. Then we finally got to the gospel. So I don't think I would have been sold on a person that came up to me. Chuck, I'd like you to believe this. I think Doug's approach to me is where I first learned the importance of friendship and conversation, all of that. Because he invested time and energy in yeah. your life, yeah. you were more willing to listen to what he had to say. Yes, exactly. exactly. And Jesus is really the, the master model of that, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Isn't he? You know, yeah. We see him prioritizing relationships all throughout his ministry. Yeah. And uh, you know, looking upon the crowd, seeing that they don't have a shepherd, and feeling intense pity and mercy for them. Yep. And then genuinely going out and trying to build those bridges. Seeing the rich young ruler beholding him, he loved mm-hmm. him. There's a place, David, we think for all, com- you sure. know, confrontational, apologetic, and, con- and, and conversational. And uh, we're making our pitch for conversational evangelism. But we want to we, we, we want to recognize that all of those yes. things are used of God. Uh, but you know, again, just this whole business of uh, of taking our time to win people to the Lord it's a big deal, and we've seen great fruit as a result of it. That's great. So as we kind of wrap this conversation up, if, if if I can sort of try to draw the threads of the conversation together and boil them down into a couple of takeaways, what what I'm hearing is first of all. We really need to prioritize this more than we usually do. Recognize it as a command, yes. not just as an option. Right. And and really come to grips with the things that hold us back from doing evangelism. Yeah. You know, rather than just allowing those to become excuses that accumulate and pile up and then oh, I'll take care of it some other time. No, no, right. we, we need to take the bull by the horns. And second we need to be willing to put in the time and energy that this thing is going to require R- rather than just relying on some kind of a canned approach and uh, and you know maybe try that once or twice and then give up no really say i'm going to love people for the sake of loving people because that's what christ would have me to do and however long this thing takes uh, whatever i have to do to get the gospel message to people that's what i'm going to do yeah it's something you should enjoy doing if you do this the way god wants you to you actually enjoy that and that's what you want to pass on to the younger people this is something you should enjoy this isn't just an obligation this is a privilege for us to be involved in this Hmm. we want to pass that on yep one thing i would add uh, david is uh is that uh your listeners all are have I'm sure they have available some supplemental material to the Bible. I mean, anything outside of the Bible that's a help is supplemental to the Bible. It's of submissive course. to the Bible. Uh, but we, uh, we have a study that we were, we're happy to share with anyone. It's a four-part study. We have, we'd, we'd share it with anyone. It, it, uh, it's predicated on how to get the righteousness of God through faith in Christ it's not the only study out there, and, and really almost any of them will work. If, and what's good about using good studies, 
this one is a theologically sound one. What's good about using good studies is uh, is uh, you are you you you're setting that time. It takes time to be involved in somebody's life. You're not just saying it just it's not just a one and done deal. And so if you have multiple studies, you you start to develop that relationship, and then you can trust the Lord for the time when uh, He and the Spirit of God uh, are at work uh, in that person's life through the studies. Amen. That's great. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I uh, appreciate tremendously the the passion that you have for evangelism. I appreciate your willingness uh, uh, to to challenge our constituency to, uh, to to really take this thing seriously. Any uh, parting thoughts uh, on our way out the door here? Uh, thank you. Thanks for the privilege of letting us share our passion. This is our passion. It is what we do with all of our hearts, and we trust that your listeners will take it to heart as well and take it to their churches. Amen. If listeners want to find out more about your ministries, where would they go? Yeah, they'd go to SaylorvilleChurch.com. Uh, we have a we have a website that stays very, very active, full-time tech guy there. You go on social media. to our, You could go to our Facebook page. Uh, Twitter, all, it's, we're we're in all of those different platforms. So, and and if you go to our website, you there are emails that you can go to if you have questions. We're happy to answer them. They also have the videos of the the Bible studies that we use, YouTube videos that uh, sort of bring together how we present the gospel. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us this episode. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time. Appreciate it very much. God bless you. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. Until next time, soli deo gloria. Thank you for listening to the Baptist Bulletin Podcast. The regular Baptist network of ministries exists to make disciples through healthy local churches. If you like this podcast, subscribe to your podcast platform of choice. You can find out more about our ministries at garbc.org and follow Regular Baptist Ministries on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.